Welcome everyone to the CEO.Digital show. My name is Craig McCartney and I'll be your host that's going to guide you through an open exploration of technologies and trends straight from the C-suite. You'll hear insights will help you better deliver results for your company and its stakeholders. We'll be interviewing a range of C-suite executives, those that are creating technology to those that are implementing it to support their businesses. Find out more and stay up to date at ceo.digital. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Today's guest is Natalie Billingham, Vice President of Sales for the EMEA region for Akamai Technology. She's also the Managing Director for the same region. So Natalie has been on a, a journey with Akamai for the last 14 years. She's an accomplished leader a multi-award-winning sales executive and an expert in business growth. Her experience encompasses over 20 years of international sales partnering and strategic relationship building. She specializes at improving the management of sales operations, teams, and their respective channels. And last but not least, Natalie is also a founding member of the EMEA Women's Forum. So welcome to the CEO.Digital show, Natalie. It's great to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really uh, pleased to be here. Yeah, so there's quite a lot to unpack, especially around your experience and your journey with Akamai. So can you tell us a little bit about your career highlights and a little bit about your journey? Sure, yeah. So as you mentioned, I've been with Akamai for 14 years, and I'm sure we'll get to that. But before Akamai, the majority of my time within the internet industry was with technology leaders who are at the sort of cutting edge of telco, of managed cloud, of virtualization, as we called it. Then, you know, I started off with an organization in tech called Exodus, who was like the darling of the internet at the time. And it was a really fantastic time to be part of it. You know, it was all on the up and up. Of course, the bubble burst, which was the less fortunate side, but I then went on to work with organizations, you know, like Savis, who are now part of Lumen, you know, and some of the big organizations who really helped me understand cloud dynamics and the telco setup as well. Yeah, and let's um, let's talk about your Akamai career then. Do you want to just fill us in, fill in the blanks from, you know, the early days up until now? Yeah. So again, I'm really fortunate to have been with Akamai for 14 years. And I started as a rep, you know, I started as an individual contributor, brought into some new areas when the company was tiny. We had this tiny office in Staines, actually, in the UK at the time, and worked my way from being an individual contributor, helping set up the Nordics media business. We didn't really have so much business in the Nordics then. We were stronger in the UK, like many startups from the US who start in the UK really wanted to try and make more of a difference. So then uh, got to manage teams and wanted to take on that people management team. And then I've just worked my way gradually through the ranks, looking after our UK business, which at the time, our entire UK business was the largest business outside of the US for Akamai, before going on to run our media business for EMEA. And then the job I have now, which is really fortunate to run all of EMEA and be the managing director. Yeah, and I mean, I can imagine there weren't too many women working in technology sales over those years. How has that experience been for you? 
Well, I've been fortunate to work with some fantastic women in, in tech, but yeah, there's definitely not enough of us. And that's one of the things that I'm focused on, on trying to change just to bring parity. You know, there's fantastic men in tech as well. And I think it's that diversity that really brings the best outcome. So yes, that is something that's definitely a focus area. Yeah. We are going to talk about some of the work that you're doing around that, but let's just continue on the sort of the, the story that we're on. What's the sort of day-to-day for you at Akamai like? Um, How are you supporting your clients? How are you supporting your sales teams? So, I mean, I think the reason I've probably stayed at Akamai for 14 years is that no two days have ever been the same. And actually, I say that to people when they join Akamai. It's like, you know, if you're the sort of person who wants things to be very steady, eddy, and each day to be exactly the same, then you may not find this is the happiest home for you. Because really, what we're doing at Akamai, we're doing all this work around transforming and securing digital experiences. And if you think, even in the last 14 years, how much that has changed, it does mean that no two days are ever the same. But at a high level, the two areas that are consistent are the focus on two main pillars, which is obviously looking after the team and the people, and then making sure that we're solving customers' problems in ways that nobody else can. And again, that is a very, very broad church, but that's really the two pillars of it that sort of sit underneath every day. Yeah. And in terms of sales, sales normally, well, from my experience, has quite a high turnover in terms of churn. How are you keeping your teams inspired and and how are you guys looking to retain some of the staff? Well, one of the focus areas at Akamai is about making it a great place to work. And we all are accountable and responsible for that. And, you know, many organizations say that. And so we really try to break that down into what does it actually mean? And, you know, for us as salespeople, obviously, you want to be able to have achievable targets. But I think what really keeps our sales team here, and there are many tenured people, I've got people in my team who've been here 20 years, you know, longer than me, is the types of the conversations that we're having with customers are just so interesting. You know, if you think about from the beginning of video being delivered online to some of the security threats and how quickly they're changing all the time now, if you think about websites, what they're able to do versus even five, 10 years ago, and we're enabling all of that. It's fascinating. I mean, it's truly, truly fascinating. So I think that is what keeps a lot of our salespeople here for a long time and actually a lot of our team here for a long time to be able to be part of those types of discussions, making life better for billions of people billions of times a day. Yeah. And I mean, you touched on it briefly there. Are there trends in the sort of problems that your clients are having right now? Talking about this remote working, the video, you know, there's lots of sort of ways that, you know, your your organization can be impacted from a cyber security level. Oh my goodness, there are so many trends. But I think, you know, just to sort of bubble it into a few or boil it into a, a few that I get from a security perspective that we're seeing, I mean, we're seeing The growth in API security, that's a huge area. It's like the biggest attack surface targeted by criminals that we see. We actually see that sometimes it's one that organizations haven't paid as much attention to. And so, you know, that's one of the areas that we're really seeing on the security side. 
we're also seeing the impact of ransomware. And we recently made an acquisition with Gardacore, who've really got this like really superlative, innovative platform to be able to fix that. But that is because it's becoming such a pervasive problem that people hadn't really thought about before. I was at a, at a customer and interestingly, we were up there for our first face-to-face meeting and they actually raised, oh, excuse me, I've just got a break for a minute because our board want to have a quick discussion on ransomware. You know, it really sort of brought it home to me that, goodness, this is very real right now and we need to be able to solve this for customers in differentiated ways. And then you mentioned the workplace and the fact that we're all still home or hybrid and the way people are working, I think, is going to change for many people forever. And so how do we protect and secure and enable that hybrid workplace? And so that hybrid workplace brings a whole plethora of new vulnerabilities with it. And so how do we protect that? And so, again, you know, a lot of our suite of solutions are around around doing that because those are the things that we're seeing and our customers are asking us to fix. And there's a whole host of other things, but I'd say probably, you know, those are three of the main ones. Yeah, and you look after the EMEA region. I'm guessing that's across the pond and into APAC. I mean, these are similar challenges. It doesn't matter what, what sort of country or location you're in. They're going to be experiencing similar attacks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are very much global challenges. They are. And so that's, and also, you know, experience globally, often the attackers are based globally. And so it's very much a global problem solved in local ways. You know, there might be specific things that we'll do within Europe, who has very specific rules around data privacy, for example, versus maybe in APJ. But actually, at the high level, the challenges that we're trying to solve are are all the same. And, you know, we all need to put our heads together to do it. I find it fascinating, the whole cyber crime topic. These cyber criminals, they are businesses, essentially. So they, they're constantly looking for ways to, to innovate and to get into those organizations. And then it's your job to, to stop them or to make their lives as difficult as possible. In terms of what Akamai provides, what, what makes you guys different to other, say, security vendors? I know it's not a, it's not a sales podcast, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm interested because, you know, we do a little bit of work with you guys as well. So it'd be great to hear from yourself. Well, actually, it is the platform that we have. So Akamai, our history is built on this pervasive platform that means that we're close to the majority of end users. You know, our CEO says that we invented the edge, and we did. We did. Before everyone used the marketing term, the edge, you know, Akamai had built out an edge platform, and, you know, most of the internet end users were within one network hop, without going into too much detail, of an Akamai server. Now, initially, what that was about was about, you know, providing the performance side, the good quality experience. But for security, that does a couple of things that A, you know, keeps attackers from from your door, we are the edge. But also because our platform is so pervasive, we see threats in a way that nobody else can. We just do the amount of data that we see. And it's all anonymized. But it does mean that we can have a very unique and specialist view on threat intelligence. It informs our services. And it just means that we're really best placed to understand the threats before we solve them. And and really, nobody else can do that. And do you specialize in a particular industry? Obviously, financial services is probably the more lucrative one, but was it across the board? 
No, I mean, it is across the board, because if you think about who has security challenges, and also with our delivery piece, anybody that uses the internet in a meaningful way, or has a hybrid workforce, will benefit from our services. So actually, one of the things that we've seen, and certainly since I've been here, is that we work more with different types of verticals. You know, there was a huge thing in the press this week about the oil industry and ransomware, for example. And that might have been when I started somewhere, which wouldn't be our natural home. So we actually work, yes, you're right, banking very much. So commerce, of course, because, you know, that's very tangible. The the sort of commercial and technical lines are, are drawn very close together there. But it's actually all verticals, media, you name it, they're they're working with us. Great. And then anything exciting in the pipeline from Akamai that that you can talk about? Well, I do think the acquisition of Gardacor that we made last year opens up some really nice avenues. Again, as I mentioned, that technology is just fascinating and the way it provides visibility So I think that visibility piece is something that people are really sort of thirsty for and has been lacking a little bit. And Gardencore provides a fantastic way of providing visibility within the network. You know, the Akamai platform traditionally provides visibility across the globe. And so I think we'll see a lot more of that. So, yeah, I mean, I I can't tell you anymore. I'll have to kill you. But there's some really fantastic stuff coming down the pipeline in terms of how we evolve against threats that are coming up. And there's going to be a lot more coming from Akamai on that score. Sounds exciting. So I'm going to sort of flip the conversation around. There's a couple of topics which are getting obviously a lot of airtime and rightfully so in technology. But is there a sort of a, a focus for Akamai around ESG initiatives? Tell us about those. Yeah, and I think Akamai is very much a purpose-driven company. But really, where our sort of purpose comes to life, you know, in terms of making life better for our people and and for the world is through our ESG strategy. And so we do have a, in fact, we've got a report coming out about our ESG strategy in the next few weeks, I think, or in the next month. But there's a couple of pillars that sit underneath it. We have, you know, a very robust ID&E strategy, so inclusion, diversity and engagement strategy with all, again, these really meaningful initiatives that we measure the impact. They, it's all about the impact, isn't it? It's not about a soundbite or what I tell you or what sits on a PowerPoint side. It's like, what does it actually do? So we have a really good ID&E piece. We have uh, the Akamai Foundation, and I'm really fortunate to sit on the board for the Akamai Foundation because, you know, that's where we make some really useful grants for things like disaster relief, The actual focus of the foundation is around STEM education. So coming back to that women in tech point, how do we get more women into tech? Well, actually, right at source by providing STEM education in different ways across the globe. And we've done a huge amount with that as well. And then the last piece of our ESG strategy, or the third pillar of it, is actually the sustainability area. And again, that's an area where Akamai's put a lot of focus to really put our money where our mouth is and make sure that it's a robust and and detailed approach. How are your customers showing interest in that, especially like in the sustainability focus? Yeah, well, it's really interesting that you ask that, actually, particularly here in EMEA, because actually what we find is that in EMEA, this is the place where we 
get the most interest in sustainability. It is a global concern, don't get me wrong, and there's global discussions. But in terms of customers wanting to, you know, they're putting it into RFPs, they're holding us to account, they're asking us for detail in, in lots more sort of granular ways. It's here in EMEA. And one of the things that we've created, actually, and I don't, again, it's uh, something which I'm not sure you can get in lots of different places, is a way that we can, we've created these reports so our customers can see how using Akamai helps them get closer to their environmental goals. And we can release this to our customers. And obviously here, that's uh, in EMEA, a really very popular indeed. Do you do a similar thing when you're choosing your suppliers and we're choosing your customers, do you also qualify them in the same regard? Absolutely. Yeah. It's the procurement team have really built that into the sort of supply chain for us. So we look at all sorts of different ways. The energy that we utilize, if you think about it, we're a pervasive platform. So, you know, we are an energy user. So how do we make sure that we can get to net zero by 2030? How do we make sure that we're utilizing renewable energy across our platform? How do we make sure our supply chain, as you pointed out, is absolutely, you know, we're, we're quantifying this with our top suppliers and we're measuring them again as we're being measured against it so that we're all in it together, you know, and then, of course, we do recycling of all of our e-waste and all of those areas as well. So 2030 is your deadline. You've mentioned some of the things you, you guys are working on. Is there anything else that is worth talking about in terms of some of the, the deadlines you set yourselves? No, I think the the net zero is really important by 2030. And I think we've got a good history of sort of accomplishing the goals that we've set ourselves before. I guess the other area to just mention is that we have gone about it in a way that really tries to avoid me too greenwashing. <laughs> you know, everyone's got a sustainability program. Everyone's got something that they're doing. But we've done partnerships with a lot of different organizations like Swiss Re, you know, around the, the globe. And we've also invested in renewable energy farms ourselves. So I think we've got three across the US at the moment and looking to do some in Europe. So I think it's just quite interesting that there's that breadth with anything sustainability. I really urge people to scratch beneath the surface because there is a lot of people who's me tooing, but really what are you doing? Because it's it's much bigger than a press release. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. So moving on to then, again, something that's obviously very passionate about. Uh, we've spoken, we've touched on it, but let's dive deeper into diversity and women's empowerment. So you, you're doing a little bit of work there. You, you work with the Women's Forum. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so within Akamai, we have a set of employee resource groups set up to support uh, parts of the organisation. Women is one. We have one that's Pride related, which is out at Akamai. Uh, you know, we have various ones for different employee resource groups. We have one that's a parents one, actually, as well. And the EMEA Women's Forum originally came from before we actually had the formalised employee resource group. You know, a group of us within EMEA came together and thought, how how do we ensure that we're looking at ways to advance women, to educate women, you know, to provide opportunity? And that was very much the sort of, you know, the incubus of it. And now it's just burgeoned into this really wonderful group that we have a set. In fact, it's a group of groups. It's a network of networks. Panamia, we have leaders, you know, in Israel, in Germany, in Sweden, in the UK. And we run 
all sorts of different initiatives. And I do really also want to stress that although it's a women's forum, it's also for allies. So, you know, we ran a superb inner critic workshop recently, and that was attended by all sorts of people across Akamai. You know, it's not about, it's about being inclusive, not about being divisive and then providing opportunities for all. And that sort of focus, is it around women in tech or is it just empowering women in all elements of the business? Well, you know, it's empowering women in all parts of our business. So, you know, we obviously have HR, we have marketing, we have tech people, we have people in sales, you know. So it's about empowering all women. But a lot of the outreach that we do with the community is around tech. So we recently ran a Girls Who Code, the first one outside of the US, actually. We ran a program with them last year in London. We've also done work with STEMETs. And that's another fantastic group trying to bring women through and with STEM education as well. So there is a a significant part of community outreach as well. And often because of our background, that sort of STEM and tech focused. Yeah. So you mentioned the Girls Who Code program. Can you tell us more about that? Because I know it's part of the Akamai, well, through the work through the Akamai Foundation, you're on the board. Yeah. Can you just give us a sort of overview of what, what you're doing there? Yeah, so the foundation itself has this set up, it's got a set of board members and we come together, we have a wonderful leader actually, who brings all sorts of different ideas, prepares a plan that we vote on and we look at, you know, sets of different areas. And as I say, the mantra that it was originally set up around was sort of perpetuating STEM education for girls. And so one of the grants, they make grants out, again, across the globe, and it's really important. And actually, that's part of the reason that I'm on the board is to provide non-US input, you know, to make sure that we are looking at things globally. There's also someone for APJ as well providing representation. And so we make, you know, different grants to different organisations. You have to put in a, a request. We did loads in Poland, for example, also as well, other places. And the one that was in the UK was for the Girls Who Code. We ran a, a workshop over the holidays. We had this fabulous like group of people of students who joined and we took them through the girls who code curriculum and I have to say the people from our team I think that joined it was as rewarding for them as probably for the girls themselves it was a really really meaningful thing so we're hoping to do more of that in 2022. Yeah it sounds very exciting and in terms of diversity inclusion is there enough being done your viewpoints from Akamai, it sounds like you you guys are doing a lot around that. But in terms of the industry as a, a whole, do you feel like enough is being done around that? I'm not sure I'm best placed to comment on the whole industry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like the kind of arbiter of the industry. But I do think that there's a lot of effort going on. If you look at all the major tech companies, for example, it's obviously our, everybody has programs like ours. Everyone's trying to assess the impact. So I think the efforts are there. I guess, are we moving fast enough? Well, do you see the percentages changing of underrepresented groups? Probably not as quickly as any of us would like. So I think the efforts are there. I think we need to redouble our efforts. I think we need to really stay focused and look for those areas where we can make a quick impact as well as achieve long-term sustainable goals. Yeah, I I think I've been asking a few people this. Do you think the pandemic has played a part in supporting diversity inclusion or 
Or do you think it's a sort of hindered progress? It's a really interesting topic, actually. It's one we talk about quite a lot because I think there are two sides that I think about it for the co- of, of the coin. Because one is the flexibility, actually, for some people, you know, being at home or a- being able to be at home and, you know, you're on back-to-back calls, you might get two minutes and go and put a load of washing on. Some people have <laughs> just a real benefit to be able to, to have that ability to manage your day in a more flexible way. But of course, the other side, particularly when schools were shutting and things, has been it's been pretty exhausting. You know, when kids are home, I think we've all got a new appreciation for teachers. For teachers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, like, wow, well, they are great, oh, aren't they? <laughs> how, how do they do it? I don't know. And so, in that way, you know, there's been a lot of studies and a lot written about. Oftentimes like women would be the people who would be taking on more of that work. And so that maybe was a little bit of a, a step back. So I think if from this, as we hopefully go to endemic stage, if we can take that ability to be flexible and, you know, allow people to focus on the outcome of the work that they need to do rather than necessarily, you know, where they do it uh, and in what specific time, I think that will actually be a huge accelerant actually for change. Yeah, exactly. And what about you? Are you going into the office again? Are you going back to events? Are you just sort of, you like the working from home? Well, I do work from home because I have an EMEA remit. Then where is the office? So, you know, I get in particular, so, so I go and I will hopefully go and visit different teams in, in different places. But, official, you know, I mainly work from home. We do have limited office access. We have offices open for people who really need it because, you know, let's not forget there are some people being home is an absolute nightmare. You know, you've got young kids, you're in a small space. So you actually need that office space. But for me, I think, you know, we've brought out in Akamai this program it's just launching called Flexspace and that's to give people flexibility to work in the best way and I will be taking advantage of that as I'm sure everyone will be. Going into the office now just adds another layer of complexity and cost to your day and you wonder. Yes, and time. It's time. It's the commute time. It's uh, I think when I'm on a commute, I think, oh, I could be doing these emails. I could, and you can stop and start, but it's not quite long enough, is it, to really be able to do it? So for me, the commute time is a waste time. I'd rather just sit down, get on with my day, you know, do as much as I can, and then you can set aside family time. This is how I prefer to work. At the end, other people may have a different way, and that's where I think the flexibility, building that into the program is really key. Yeah. I mean, parents having to juggle the pickup and drop off and then get into, oh, it's it's crazy. You, I don't know how we did it all before. Anyway. <laughs> and we're traveling as well, all the work travel. It's like, how did we do that? So, yeah, I've got to, they're going to go to a section later. We're going to, I'm going to ask you for some advice for some of our listeners around some of the topics that we've spoken about. But I want to just go back to some of the stuff that you're doing, Akamai, from a marketing and sales perspective, purely because I work in marketing, you work in sales, and I want to find out more about your teams and how are you guys aligned? Are you do your does your sales team actively work with your marketing team, or are they very much siloed? And you know, how do you guys get it right? 
Well, I mean, you'd have to ask the marketing team if they think we get it right. But <laughs> I would say that the way that we approach it, at least, is to have a hand-in-glove partnership. Sales and marketing are symbiotic. We absolutely, neither one is successful, really, without the other. So we approach it that way. I work incredibly closely with our marketing teams, you know, and I accept I'm not the expert. They're the experts in marketing. Hopefully, I'm supposed to bring the sales expertise but we have common goals and then we come together and we work out how do we best collaborate to achieve these. And by having that sort of collaborative approach based around the outcomes that we're trying to drive and the common goals, then we seem to actually get a lot done. And also we have a lot of fun along the way. I mean, I think that's also really important. I think sales and marketing, you know, again, if you look at yourself as sort of one team trying to achieve common goals, try and always bring fun to everything that you do, because sometimes it can be high pressured in in both parts of the business, then we find it works really well. I'm really fortunate just to have such a sort of clever and creative marketing team around me. Where are your sort of marketing team delivering value at the moment? Where are you guys getting some some good wins? Like what sort of channels? Well, there's some really nice customer advocacy work going on. Actually, it's been run through our, our comms team where we're really surfacing customer stories in their words quickly. And I think, you know, for us in sales, that really matters because nobody wants to think, oh, I'm having a chat with a salesperson about a sale. It's just not exciting for anybody. But where everybody's interested is in hearing how organizations, other organizations in their field or in their country or just generally have solved challenges which they also may have. And so I think that customer advocacy piece, we're seeing some really fascinating stories come out of it and also getting some great engagement as a result. Yeah, it's like you're well, you humanizing those. Well, because we are humans, you want to tell human stories to other humans. So are there any other examples of where you're doing that? And what are the stories that are getting attention? Well, there's some good stories where we're actually bringing together some of our customers and some of our ESG goals. So we did a really nice one with RTL, a big media conglomerate. I'm sure you know them. And also that was talking about sort of sustainability as well. So that was bringing together two things that people are interested in, plus the customer angle that gets a lot of engagement. But generally, in terms of the work that we're doing with marketing, the other area that I think is is paying a lot of dividends is we're doing a lot of industry marketing. So that, again, it's sort of really about talking in the customer language, you know, that people want to talk about their specific industry and the things that matter to them. A very generic one-size-fits-all conversation, again, is not really so so interesting. So that's another area where we're putting a lot of effort and we're seeing some really good results. And in fact, I was on a call today about this really fascinating connected car offering that we have, which will speak to the automotive organization in a very unique way. That's exciting. And are you doing any events at the moment? I mean, or is it all still virtual? Mainly virtual. It's mainly virtual with going back to live in a very targeted way. So, for example, some countries have picked up going back to live quickly. And I was going to say France. At the back end of last year, we did a number of face-to-face events in France. Obviously, they've had very high Omicron cases recently, so that's tailed off. But we're just being very judicious about face-to-face events and also listening to what our customers want want to do. 
Yeah, I think some of us want to get back to the the old way of seeing each other. I think, I, I think digital. So nice. Yeah, I think digital chat to stay though. Anyway, I've got a tip in case uh, you are suffering from Zoom fatigue. By the way, and that is you just turn off your own screen view, so you don't see yourself, <laughs> which I find quite nice because I. I find it exhausting seeing my face. Yes, <laughs> I can't look at my own face anymore. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's one thing I've done this year. It seems to have helped. So let's talk about so just some final thoughts and maybe highlighting some of the, the themes we've, we've covered already. But, you know, any sort of aspiring salespeople that are working in tech or any other industries that, you know, want to get up there to a position, you know, such as yourself, VP or chief sales officer, if there's a position available, what advice have you got for them? Well, I suppose there are two things I would say. The first thing is like, love what you do. I wouldn't say that, you know, I've risen through the ranks, you know, because I'm especially special or, you know, there's nothing magical about me, but I love what I do. I love this company and I believe that we solve challenges in a way, as I said, that nobody else can. And I think that comes through in the conversation. So I think if you love what you do, you know, there's that phrase, isn't there? If you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And I do work days in my life, don't get me wrong, but it does make it very, very enjoyable. And then the rest comes from that. And then I think the other thing is there's this great book. I don't know if you've read it. It's by Brené Brown. She's like this really good author. And she has this book called The Gifts of Imperfection, which I really think is a fantastic book. But what it says is let go of who you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you are. And I just think that is a good good advice for anyone. And I would say particularly for women leaders or people aspiring, you know, because there's often this who should I be? Should I act in this particular way if I want to get up the track? So that's the other one. You literally just took the other question from my mouth. So you covered both of those. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, and is there is there any sort of advice that you wish you got when you were younger that potentially could have saved you a few headaches or, or just sort of helped your trajectory, made it a bit smoother sailing? I think it probably would have been that advice, actually. I think I spent a bit of time, particularly earlier in tech, trying to, or in sales, you know, you, you sort of think, should I portray a, a corporate front? What is that even? And do I have it? And I think the more, the when I started to become more successful, actually, is when I sort of looked at my own circumstances and, and made them work for me. So to give a live example of that you know raising my daughter as a single mother actually that was the thing I would say that motivated me the most you know and that was embracing the circumstances that I'm in rather than thinking oh well I better pretend in meetings that I don't have to run off for childcare or I don't have to do these things so I would really say that you know sometimes obviously it's difficult but I would say that's actually what's transformed my career. Great well I think Let's move on to the next round, which is our quick fire round, which is just a little bit of fun. We're going to find out more about Natalie and the person behind the camera. I'll make it as painless as possible, I promise. But um, the first question we always ask is around your sort of guilty technology pleasure. It doesn't have to be guilty pleasure. It can maybe be essential technology items. So it's just 
I guess, the one tech thing that you, you love or you can't live without? Well, I mean, the one technical thing that no one can live without now is the phone, as much as I tell my children and particularly my daughter to get off it. That is definitely the one thing that, we, you know, none of us can live without. And I'm as guilty as anybody else on that, you know, like the smartphone. And I suppose on that, the probably guilty technology pressure is that I probably spend more time playing a horrendous game with my little boy he's three called good pizza great pizza so and it literally is making pizzas so (laughs) that is you know it's quite uh, zen let's just put it that way at the end of a long day he likes putting the toppings on oh sweet so your family your friends and your boss how would they each describe what you do do you think there'd be any discrepancies well i hope let's go i'm going to go backwards my boss, I'd like, there'll definitely be discrepancies because, yeah, there'll definitely be discrepancies and you'll understand why as I go through these. My boss, I'd like to hope he knows what I do. <laughs> you know, we stay in pretty close contact. He's a wonderful supporter for me as well and for our team. So I'd like to hope he knows what I do and would describe it the most accurately. My friends, hilariously, always, without fail, even though I'm in sales, have explained it to them so many times, Every time I see them go, and what is it you do again? For whatever reason, they just have that thing. And then my daughter, I think she probably, she gets it in terms of the tech, but she did say something to me like last week, which I, I was very sweet. She went, Mom, I was, I was talking with my friends and we think we've decided you're a girl boss. So <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm that. Yeah, respect. <laughs> and then do you have any sort of essential desk items that, you need always chocolate chocolate of course chocolate chocolate, yeah but also (laughs) i love a highlighter pen you know i like to print things out i like to highlight them yeah have you got a printer i have got of course i do print i think it sort of shows my age that i still like to print things out and i love to highlight look i've got a highlighter here now yeah i love to you know i just like that yeah I, if I'm reading something or if I'm proofing something, I have to, it's much easier on a piece of paper. So I'm going to get a printer as well. Great. It's just a good reminder. And we spoke about Brene Brown. Are there any other books that you've read lately or any other series or anywhere else you've gotten some inspiration that you can share with us? Well, I try, uh, I try and read as much as possible. I don't get as much time as I would like to do that. So, yeah, I like motivational theory books uh, as well. I find those interesting. And I was talking with someone the other day about the sort of Daniel Pink motivational theory around, uh, and I use this actually with my team around, you know, autonomy, mastery, and a sense of purpose being the sort of three tenets of, of motivation. He's got a new book out. I think it's called The Power of Regret. I've got it on order. I haven't read it yet. Yeah, but those are the types of things that I kind of just like to dip into if I can when I get some time. Great. Very useful. Thank you so much, Natalie. That officially brings us to the end of today's show. So, uh, Natalie, thank you so much for joining us. It's been wonderful having you here. Lots of insights, uh, lots of uh, great things you're working on. It's been wonderful to find out more about you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really, having me. I really appreciate the time. So, yeah. yeah. 
Well, yeah, if you liked what you heard, please do like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be following Natalie's career even further now. And please check out the page. Uh, we'll include any relevant links to some of the stuff that we are doing with Akamai Technologies. So thank you again, Natalie. And bye-bye, everyone. Bye.